The Start On Demand. On demand. got a ton for you on this edition of the Start On Demand. I know we wouldn't promise anything else. Hopefully we deliver. Jackson Proskow in El Paso, Texas will tell you about that community in preparation for President Donald Trump's arrival following the tragic events of this past weekend. Transit strike, transit lockout. We'll find out what the likelihood of either is. Rural Manitoba is seeing crime rise along with the city of Winnipeg. It's not just inside the perimeter. We'll go to Portage La Prairie and tell you what's what in PLP, Phantom of the Paradise. It was a phenomenon in Winnipeg. There's a new documentary talking about this phenomenon. We'll sort it out for you. Math? Are you a math genius? Well, we'll find out. And Winnipeg Ice are coming to 680 CJOB. Let's get her going. The two men on the run in northern Manitoba. They're accused of second-degree murder and the death of a BC man and are also suspects in the shooting deaths of two others. These two men have not been seen or spotted. Their sighting was, last sighting was July 22nd, but we know the hunt has focused largely on the Gila, Manitoba area. And now we're learning that they weren't just spotted in that community. The RCMP say they found items belonging to them. Joe Scarpelli with Global News is in Gillum and joins us now. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, guys. Let's just uh, get right into this. What are these items that the RCMP are talking about? Well, you know, they're not uh, they're not uh, telling us what they found. All they're telling us is that they found these items along the shore of the Nelson River on the same day they found that boat. Uh, that boat we were uh, talking about uh, a lot yesterday. It was a damaged aluminum boat on the Nelson River about an hour to an hour and a half from Gillum. And police spotted it while they were doing a routine uh, check last week from the helicopter. And uh, just yesterday, Yesterday, yeah, some significant developments. They told us that uh, they found some items directly linked to uh, Briar Schmigowski and Cam McLeod, but they will not tell us what they are. And then in the days following that underwater search uh, yesterday and um, and Monday, police had had set up a roadblock, which has been uh, pretty rare around here. You see a lot of check stops, but the police were actually blocking the road as they searched the area close to where they found um, the the burned uh, vehicle that they were driving a couple weeks ago. So does this do anything more than just reconfirm the belief that RCMP have that this is the area in which uh, these two suspects have been and that it, it is reconfirming their plan, their idea, their strategy in searching almost exclusively in this part of northern Manitoba? Joe. Yeah, that's it's this is just another clue that's linking them to northern Manitoba because we've heard um reports and people calling police in Ontario about possible sightings um but nothing has been confirmed. Police are sure that these items that they found on the river are directly linked to the two suspects. So this is just the latest clue that puts them in northern Manitoba and as of now there's nothing putting them anywhere else. So we've had the items on the river, we've had the boat that was was found on the shores, but we have not had any other sightings of the suspect. Does it change how they look with the possibility that they could be on the river or have used the river in somewhere? Essentially, how does the water possibly complicate the hunt for them? You know, I was actually uh, speaking to uh, a man at the gas station last night, and uh, we, so we we can't get into where police are, uh, are are doing their search because they have the road blocked. But he was telling, he was giving me an idea of the area uh, where police are searching. He was he was telling me he was actually there on uh, Saturday night. This is before police had uh, told us that there was um, that that they were going to be searching there, that there was a boat found. So he was sightseeing with his uh, with his kids and uh, on a separate. No, he's still uh, still shaken by the fact that he was right there in the area with these suspects possibly nearby him. But he was saying um, it's a pretty like when you 
in the area where police are searching right now or where they were yesterday, the last two days, it's uh, it's very thick bush. And then once you get to the end close to the river, it's a pretty uh, it's a it's a, he was explaining to me it's about like a 30 feet drop to the river. So um, it's a pretty dangerous area. And um, if they're in the river, it's pretty uh, according to this man, it's difficult to, uh, to, to get from the land to the river because of this, uh, this, uh, this big drop. Joe Scarpelli, you continue to uh, do great work up in Gillum. Thank you for uh, sharing it with us, and uh, we will look forward to hearing uh, from you throughout the day. Thanks again, Joe. Thanks, guys. Global's Joe Scarpelli with us from Gillum, Manitoba. Just when we thought, Loren, that perhaps the trail was running dry. Well, so many people said, how, you know, maybe they're not even there. Sure. Beyond this sighting, right? But to hear that there's been items mm-hmm. found really, I think, shows that they were correct all this time in that search in that area. And last week we were having the discussion that RCMP, of course, have scaled back their their resources up in northern Manitoba. And we suggested we're having that same discussion here at Global News. Other news organizations are also having to make that decision. How How long do we stick with this story? Well... Yesterday's revelation means we have to stick with it a little while longer. We are going to the United States, to El Paso, Texas, to be exact. Jackson Prosco joins us there, where he awaits the arrival of the President of the United States, Jackson. Uh, The President going to Dayton, Ohio first, and then he'll make his way to El Paso, a city. Uh, These two cities that were affected by gun violence over the weekend, a, a tragedy that has really awoken that community. I've watched so much of the television coverage over the last couple of days. Tell us what's going on there, if you would. Yeah, good morning to both of you. Uh, it uh, seems as though the president is not going to receive much of a warm welcome in either city today, especially not here in El Paso, where protests are being planned and organized, uh, because people here, quite frankly, blame the president for what happened. They say his hateful rhetoric, his anti-immigrant campaigning, is what inspired this shooter, is what brought us to this very dark place. And so they're really not in a position to welcome him with open arms. And even the mayor is suggesting that, uh, look, uh, he has a, a responsibility to welcome the president in his role as president, but this is not a uh, a celebratory uh, event. This is not something he's anxious to have uh, in his city. For those who um, might blame the president, we just get just as many listeners writing, writing us to say, well, bl- blaming Trump is, would be like blaming Trudeau for the shootings in Toronto over the weekend. And there's pe- people keep trying to make that connection. But the fact remains there have been words uttered, uttered by the president of the United States that many feel have influenced some of that hate out there. Tell us a bit more about what we learned about the shooter and how what Trump has said might have impacted uh, things in that city. Yeah, I mean, the, the alleged gunman in this case uh, published apparently a, a manifesto online which used much of the same language that has been uttered by Trump time and time again, talking about an invasion of uh, migrants, for example. Uh, the the shooter also went on in his manifesto to say that, you know, anybody who tries to, to blame Trump for this is... Uh, using fake news. I mean, this is these are Trump's words being echoed by somebody who carried out this shooting. Uh, you can't ignore the fact that Trump has used that word invasion over and over and over again to describe people coming across the border from Mexico, people coming from Central America. The Trump campaign ran something like 2,200 Facebook ads uh, over the course of the year using the word invasion. So this is language used by the president time and time again. The president was even here in El Paso back in February holding a campaign rally where he talked about the invasion, talked about how dangerous things were just across the border in Juarez, Mexico, and talked about the border fence that's here in El Paso as an example of what he would like to see right across the country. Even though that border fence does exist in El Paso, you mentioned Juarez, Mexico, which has been a very dangerous city in that country for for more than a decade now, Jackson. But El Paso's a special place. There are people that live in El Paso and work in Juarez and the, and the opposite live in Juarez and work and play in El Paso. They they are they are twin cities to a certain extent, are they not? 
They really are. Uh, 80% of the residents of, of El Paso are Hispanic. Uh, eight of the victims of this shooting were Mexican nationals who were shopping at that Walmart because people simply cross back and forth across the border to do their shopping and to do their errands. That is part of daily life here. You're right. These cities are intertwined. People have families that are on both sides of the border in both cities. Uh, they're inextricably linked. And so in many ways, this didn't feel to El Paso like simply another mass shooting in America. This was a deeply personal attack on their city because of who their city is because of the way their city operates. So then given all that, given the tensions, given the anger that's out there, given the words that were written by this uh, shooter, what is expected of Trump today in terms of what he might say? I've read so many headlines talking about the idea that he might not be welcomed by so many people unless there is something good to come out of it. So is there any expectation there might be policy or other that has spoken on either of these trips to Dayton or El Paso that might give credence or at least a little hope to those out there who are looking for change? Well, I know local officials say they're looking for an apology and they're looking for an acknowledgement of the role that the president's rhetoric has played. And even though 24 hours ago he was speaking from a teleprompter and calling for unity, he's back on Twitter this morning attacking his critics, attacking people like Beto O'Rourke, the local congressman here in El Paso. Uh, so it's hard to see him actually backing up his words with any sort of meaningful action. I should point out that he's only going to be on the ground here in El Paso for about two hours. It's likely he's just going to visit both of the hospitals where there are victims and and maybe meet with some local officials, but even that seems questionable at this point. Uh, but we know that protests are planned uh, throughout the city, and I think that is going to be sort of the defining feature of this day. It's a unique situation because this shooter, this, we have to use the word alleged because he's in custody, speaking to authorities, the whole terminology around domestic terrorism. The language, if, if the laws don't change after this, the language that's being used to describe and to that are being linked to these events this uh, past weekend, Jackson, has certainly changed. It really has. I mean, I think there's less hesitancy to call out uh, white supremacy and the way it may motivate people. Uh, I think there's less hesitancy to call out the impact of words coming from the president himself, come call out the techniques used uh, to divide Americans. And I don't think that's uh, we need to parse our language around that. That is what the president does when he gets up on stage and calls Mexicans rapists, when he says that criminals are streaming across the border and when he casts every person crossing the border in the same light. That is what he's doing. That's that's not a point of debate. Jackson, we appreciate your time as always. We look forward to your reports throughout the day and, of course, on Global News National at 5.30 local time here in Winnipeg. Thanks for this. Thank you. Jackson Prosco in El Paso, Texas, Loren. Oh, heavy day for folks down there. That's a hard one. I mean, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't as a leader, right? If you don't go, you're accused of not caring. Correct. You go, you get booed. It's like, well, we told you to stay away. And there's so many words to parse uh, through all this in terms of what someone says as a leader, what you take from that, and the influence that it can have on so many of us. It's no different than saying you want a strong teacher to be a strong leader for your children because they parrot what they hear. If we want the language to change, if we want laws to change in the United States, and once again, we're just observers from the outside, but you know, as Canadians, we spend a ton of time and a ton of money in the United States. Canadians are our cousins, our friends, our brothers, our sisters in a lot of cases live in the United States. We have such a close relationship. This affects so many people. It affects our psyche. And uh, this is a story that we will uh, be watching very closely. And the president of the United States has an opportunity today to change the narrative, to change the way he's viewed if he takes advantage of it. We want to talk about transit now. The Amalgamated Transit Union in the city of Winnipeg remain locked in negotiations without any sign of progress after two days of mediation. Statements released yesterday morning from both parties say they're stuck on different issues. The city said it's hung up on a general wage increase of 2.75% per year for four years and the union's demand for a $10 hourly increase to mechanic salaries. That exceeds um, the, the, the last six deals that we were able to negotiate with our other uh, bargaining units. Uh, and interestingly enough, in, in those negotiations, uh, each of those bargaining uh, units, uh, the unions actually came with some concessions. So in other words, 
if they were looking for wage increases, um, they, they also brought something else to the table that uh, would assist the city um, in terms of cost savings. Um, the ATU not only has offered absolutely nothing in terms of uh, cost-saving concessions, uh, but is also looking for the largest uh, general wage increase of all of them. That is Michael Jack, City of Winnipeg Chief Corporate Service. He had this message for the union. I'll reiterate that, in fact, the city has made its final offer. This is it. Uh, and so if the offer is rejected, uh, we're, we're going to have to go in a different direction. We really are going to have to consider what options are necessary. So Michael Jack and ATU President Aleem Chowdhury appeared separately on the news with Julie and Richard yesterday. The union said it wants to address working conditions such as more reliable schedules, improved customer service, among other things, before discussing wages. Our uh, operators are having a hard time keeping buses on schedule as it is right now. There's uh, over uh, roughly around uh, 40 to 50 percent of the buses are running late. And when they're running late, uh, people are coming up to the operators and getting upset with them because they figure they're not able to keep up for whatever reason they don't understand because they want to get to where they need to get to and they want to get there on a timely manner. So unfortunately, the city of Winnipeg is not able to provide the service that should be uh, to its uh, it's riders, and that stress or that anger is being taken out on our operators. And it starts with verbal, and then it leads to assault. Despite the impasse, the ATU said it will bring the latest offer to its members. It's going to the membership on Sunday, and we should know by the following Friday afternoon what the results are. The city says it is expecting a strike in September at the most inopportune time in Winnipeg's bus schedule. One option is for the city to lock out transit before the fall. Once again, here's Michael Chack with Richard Cluche. Would you rather have this locked out sooner rather than later before September and before the back to school rush, Michael Jack? Uh, well, it, it, certainly we we have suspected all along uh, that that if a strike was going to occur, that uh, that the ATU were positioning themselves uh, to do it when it would be most impactful, which would be September. Uh, so you're you're correct in noting that the timing is is pretty significant for us, uh, and uh, and and we we will need to move quickly uh, if if uh, if the deal is rejected. So where will Sunday's vote end up? What's your sense of the membership of the transit union? Well, I'll be honest with you, like, I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, one minute they're saying that uh, we're going on strike and the next minute they're thinking lockout. I, I do believe that's fear-mongering uh, to the public and to our membership. And that, that's all they're doing. Uh, and to answer the question, what's your sense of the membership? Are they going to reject this? I, I believe so. I believe that they will reject this offer. Because so you're looking at a lockout sooner rather than later. That's the reality, sir. Are you prepared for that? I think our membership is prepared to uh, stand up for their rights at this point. That's language that shouldn't surprise anyone, Loren. It feels as though this is definitely coming to a head in the short term versus the long term, and it may not be on the union's terms. That was Aleem Chowdhury uh, in that last clip there giving us his opinion on where he thinks this vote will go this week. We'll find out Friday what the results are. Following Friday, next Friday. Yes, of course. Right. They'll vote uh, starting Sunday the and then it'll take vote. a few days. So lots to discuss on this as, as we watch for this uh, in the days and potentially weeks ahead. How could a transit lockout or strike affect you? Are you prepared to alter your transportation plans without transit? And here's another question. If you don't use transit, how could this affect you? Could mean lots of extra cars on the road come September. And on top of that, Greg, when this is settled, right, money still goes different places. So when more money goes into one department, is it taken away from somewhere else? That's a really good point. We often say that some of the best stories we do on 680 CGOB and Global News come from you, our listeners, our viewers, and uh, I would suggest in this case, absolutely the fact, Loren McNabb. This is the email that was sent to CGOB and Global News recently from a business owner in Portage La Prairie. It reads... The crime in Portage has gotten so bad they are now going around at all hours stealing anything they can. It happens all the time and nothing gets done. They get arrested and let go right away. Any chance for a news story on this? So our answer was yes to that email. It was written by Jamie Bernard, who is the owner of Blue Moon Water Systems in Portage La Prairie. And he joins us now. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. 
tell us what's happening uh, to your business and in your community. When you say thefts at all hours of the day, what, what are you seeing? So it doesn't just happen at, you know, 12, 12 at night till 6 in the morning. They will uh, go into businesses in broad daylight, shop, and then just walk out with the stuff. So we're talking an issue of shoplifting, which we know has been rampant in Winnipeg, that, that there's no, nothing to, you know, are you hiding more security guards? Are they just walking in and walking out and not bothering to hide any of the stuff they are stealing? Yeah, that, that hasn't really, that part hasn't happened at my business, but I know other businesses in Portage, it has, it has happened. And then the, the video footage, they'll, they'll get arrested. The cop, the RCMP in Portage actually do a really good job of that. But then, the, they will get let out two days later by the Crown prosecutors. So the and issue, then they, and it, then they will just keep it's, they just keep re, repeating doing it. Any idea in terms of you know how this might compare to years past? Was it, was this a big concern for you? You know, five or ten years ago when it came to just thefts in your community, and, and how has that changed? No, it's uh, it's gotten way worse and. I do believe part of it has to do with the whole mess crisis, not just not just in Portage across Manitoba. Jamie, how does this make you feel overall? It's one thing when you lose uh, financially and there's that invasion of of territory and and you feel wronged. But is there is there something more at play in terms of the overall security people are feeling in a community where I suspect they've felt pretty secure for a very long time? Well, it's. Uh, now there's actually there's a Facebook Facebook group in Portage called Secure Portage where every morning you wake up there's footage of something happening that night if they were walking in looking through windows trying to steal cars just trying to steal property or just causing mischief more or less but every morning there's there's some, there's something on that site every morning of something that happened the night before. It's similar to many texts we're getting from listeners this morning, some from Oak Bank, some from Bozager. I know in my own community, south of Winnipeg, there are similar Facebook pages, and it seems that those videos get posted with increased regularity, and that as a result, you also have more and more people purchasing those kinds of surveillance systems just to watch their own homes. Have you changed anything you've done at your business or home to try to address this, Jamie? Um, so in the past six months, I've had... Uh, three surveillance cameras ripped off my building. So in this last instance, instance, it was last Tuesday night over Wednesday morning, uh, they tried to get the one camera. They jumped up actually on the hydrometer, tried to get it, couldn't. And then they went over to another camera and uh, took him about 12 minutes of surveillance. His face right in front of the camera had got a really good picture of of him doing it, and then he flipped up onto my van and trailer to finish getting it off. Gee whiz. So we're speaking to Jamie Bernard, who's a business owner in Portage La Prairie, owner of Blue Moon Water Systems. What are they taking from you, Jamie, or attempting to take? Is it about coming in and, and getting anything in cash, or is it about items? What What's being stolen? There's literally just after cameras. I've, I know about six or eight different businesses where they've stolen cameras off the building, and I think it's to try to resell them for money is what they're doing. I don't actually think they're trying to get into the building. They're just trying to steal the cameras. And we know with these pictures, they can be so clear. So it speaks to the brazen nature of the thefts that there's not even any attempt in any case to hide faces or cover themselves up? Uh, in some cases, there are. I think it depends if they, could, if they can get on their roof or if they can get on there and not have their face showing. But in my instance, his, his face is literally right in front of the camera. So, Jamie, what would you like to see? Um, I I think it comes down to the whole uh, court system and judicial system, whereas they get arrested, they go through, and then they're they're let out again. Like most of these offenders are already out on warrants and and wanted, and they just they'll get arrested. And they the court system. I don't know if it's just bogged down or if it's they just get they get let back out, and then they they know they can just keep doing it because there's going to be no punishment. Well, we know the Portage 
mayor has said it's a major problem. We know the crime report came out last week for all communities pointing to the fact that I think some of the statistics reported were the worst they've ever been when it comes to crime. He's put out a call to the province, the premier, other officials to help them out. Uh, Hopefully more conversation will continue, Jamie, but we thank you very much for your time this morning. No, thank you very much. Stealing the cameras. Yeah. And not even a, a... And their face right in the camera. Not even attempting to hide their faces, clear images, and you talk about a self-fulfilling prophecy. If there's enough crime going on, more people will buy cameras, which means there'll be more cameras to sell I didn't, and steal. That was not the answer I was thinking was going to come. I thought... Neither does I. I. I know that in, you know people are going into cars to just rifle for cash, quick cash. I was thinking there was being... But to just steal the cameras that are there to help you out, now what do you do? Put no cameras in? Well, now your business is also unprotected. You can listen to Winnipeg Ice Games right here on 680 CGOB, as you just heard in the news with Jeff Braun, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, to officially announce this fantastic five-year partnership with Winnipeg's newest hockey team, Lorraine. As if we weren't excited enough to actually have our own WHL team to cheer for in the Winnipeg Ice. This news is pretty uh, amazing this morning. So it's going to start with the season opener, which is a big one against Brandon Wheat Kings. We're going to air that live right here on CJOB. Saturday and Sunday games will be broadcast on 680 and every game will be live streamed. And then of course, if you want to watch any of it, you're going to catch all the highlights on Global Winnipeg where uh, nightly for games we'll be able to feature exclusive interviews and all the rest. And so to talk more about uh, this pretty amazing announcement, we're joined by Matt Cockle, president and GM of the Winnipeg Ice, and Carly Ebenson, director of marketing in studio. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. This is great. So let's start with you, Carly. Like, what does it mean to be able to get your games out there like that? The hype is there, but now to know that you have it on radio, on TV, to sort of really broaden that audience. Yeah, we're really excited to partner with 680CJOB and the entire Chorus uh, Entertainment family. Like, uh, I think we're like-minded organizations in terms of really wanting to find unique ways to connect with listeners and, in our case, fans. Uh, and we are new in town. This is our first season here in Winnipeg, so we're really excited to have a, a variety of different ways for people to get to know us better. Matt, I, I think the marketing to this point has been tremendous. Your social media is fantastic. It's fir- first rate. It's engaging with a ton of people. For those that are maybe just waking up to the idea that the Western Hockey League is coming back to Winnipeg after a well, 19, it was in 1984 that the Moose Jaw Warriors moved, or the Winnipeg Warriors moved to Moose Jaw. Uh, it's been a long time in coming. There's a whole coming. generation of people oh, who multiple generations. don't really know the WHL. So tell us uh, about this and about the decision to, to have this team in Winnipeg. Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, certainly in the transition moving uh, to Winnipeg, there's been lots uh, for us to consider and think about in, in entering the market. The one thing that... Uh, we're just uh, think is a real good fit is our whole focus uh, as an organization in terms of grassroots and community engagement and be able to connect with uh, young hockey players and families. Our players are just so active in the community. It's a big part of the WHL. And it's a big part of the growth of the players as they're learning not just how to be uh, professionals on the ice in terms of their approach and, and where they want to aspire to get to, but also what they're doing off the ice. And so we think it's just such a um, engaging um organization with the respect to how much accessibility there is to the players and we think that'll be really unique and different for folks in Winnipeg and be able to connect to all the players in the team. Well I grew up in Minnedosa and so I was a Brandon Wee Kings fan and I'll do my best to uh, change my allegiances but I think the the thing that was so great is that you got to know these players through radio through the local media and in many cases uh, Carly I think I would say that I knew the Brandon Wee Kings names far more than I ever knew the, the Winnipeg Jets or any NHL player at the time because of that local connection. So when you when the players come in, is that a big part of the messaging to them as well, that you are part of a bigger family than just this team? Absolutely. And I'm also from the southwest corner. <laughs> my parents live in Brandon, so Ooh. I'm no longer welcome at any family dinners <laughs> because obviously my allegiance is to the ice. <laughs> um, that's one of the things that we're really excited to do through this partnership is let Winnipeg get to know the players better. They're uh, really interested in becoming part of this community, uh, really being integrated into the community. And uh, we're going to be able to do some in-depth player profiles, get to know them a little bit more as people, uh, and hopefully invite your listeners out 
out to many community events where they can get to know them as well. Matt, when you see uh, players like Cody Glass and Nolan Patrick, Winnipeg-born players that are being drafted high in the first round, I mean, Winnipeg is no stranger to developing great hockey players, but traditionally they had to move away to hone those skills in the Western Hockey League or maybe to go to U.S. College. Now there's a genuine option here with all respect to everything that's gone on at the University of Manitoba over the years. You played for the Bisons once upon a time. So this is a, a, a terrific opportunity for Winnipeg to grow its own talent. It, it, that's got to be a big piece of this pie and puzzle. Well, I think when you look at development and what's been happening in Winnipeg and Manitoba with young hockey players, it's just the timing is right to further extend the ability for, for players to play at home and those pool of players to uh, not just be able to experience that in front of their families, but also when you look uh, province-wide, I mean, between the Brandon Wheat Kings, who traditionally will have between 8 and 10 uh, homegrown players, and uh, certainly we've been, uh, for those paying attention, um, added a number of local players uh, to our roster. Uh, you look two or three down years down the road with that rivalry, playing each other 10 times a year, those uh, fans that are coming to our games are going to be able to experience you know, 20 plus of the top uh, players in our province that are all working uh, as hard as they possibly can to reach their dreams, which is to play at a, the next level of hockey. And uh, we're excited to support them with that and, and provide an amazing experience and environment uh, for those players. So we just have a minute or two at the very most here. Games for the first two seasons will be taking place on campus at the University of Manitoba, Wayne Fleming Arena. But it's not the Wayne Fleming Arena from when you played there, Matt, and when I went to school there. It's got an incredible facelift over the past summer. Yeah, so Wayne Fleming Arena, which we're kind of dubbing uh, the Ice Cave for the upcoming two seasons, uh, $1.2 million in capital improvements. It'll be a phenomenal leave behind. Uh, great partnership with the university. So premium balcony seats, brand new video scoreboard, full WHL game production. Uh, really excited for fans to have an opportunity to purchase season seats. They're available at winnipegice.ca. Uh, it's great to share with other families or folks if you're involved with a minor hockey team or, or even within... Uh, within an employment perspective with different uh, companies. So we're encouraging everybody to come out and participate and get to know the players. And it's going to be a real fun, uh, unique experience. Carly, thank you for this. This is exciting. I, I just wanted to ask then, is this the rivalry that will it be Winnipeg Brandon being the, the big thing that's the draw for our province, I think, in terms of the rivalry? Like, what was it before with Kootenai? We, th- th- this too. rivalry will be very special. Um, you know, I worked for the Wheat Kings for nine years. Ooh. Kelly McCrimmon's a very uh, good friend of mine. And as, as much as we're, uh, you know, kind of brothers off the ice, so <laughs> to speak, uh, we're very competitive and <laughs> fans can expect uh, the games to be very intense. I'm well, torn. And we, well, <laughs> you know what? what I grew up do? a Wheat Kings fan too. Oof. I'm not torn at all. This is an easy transition for me. <laughs> and uh, there are one, two, three, four, four, five Saskatchewan teams to hate on in the Western Hockey League, Calgary, Edmonton. This is going to be easy to pick teams that you don't like. We're excited to get started. (laughs) (laughs) That's the announcement. We've got 68. All of the Winnipeg Ice regular season games will be live streamed on CGOB.com and very close to half of those games will be aired right here on 680 CGOB. Those will be on Saturday and Sunday nights. Our new partners, the Winnipeg Ice, Matt, Carly, Shall we say congratulations or welcome aboard? Maybe a little bit of both. Let's get started. I think that's, uh, we're excited to get going. Thank you very much. You know, once upon a time in downtown Winnipeg movie theaters, played a film which is more popular in our city than in any other place on the planet. I want to explain the Phantom to someone who hasn't seen it before. Take your best musical, take your best horror film, take your best comedy, and take your best love story, roll them into one, and double it. Hey baby, this is Will Van Dyke here, and I want to tell you about Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise. The film was a great disappointment commercially when it first opened. We had unusual numbers for Canada, and as it turned out, unusual for the world. Here was this movie that was failing everywhere, and in Winnipeg, it was topping the charts. Hard to believe on first hearing that Phantom had taken over the minds of an entire generation of Winnipeggers. 
To tell us more about the phenomenon is Doug Carlson. He's a co-producer of the new documentary, The Phantom of Winnipeg. Good morning, Doug. Good morning. What a fantastic looking film this is, regardless of the subject matter, how you feel about Phantom of the Paradise. This is really well made. It is extraordinarily well made. Um, it, uh, we just found out yesterday, in fact, that we won the Audience Award for Best Documentary at the Fantasia International Film Festival in Montreal, where it had its premiere last month. Um, the reviews have all been just extraordinarily uh, uh, fine so far, and uh, we cannot wait for the, the people of Winnipeg and the fans of Phantom of the Paradise to come see this. Well, there are so many people, and, and congratulations on that award, but there are so many people in Winnipeg who don't need any explainer as to why they loved Phantom of the Paradise, why they went, why they went. Some of them I've spoken to in the past have gone, you know, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times to see that movie. But for those who don't know, give us some context. The legend that is Phantom of the Paradise in our city. What happened when this movie was first released? Well, when this movie came out, it was uh, came out on Boxing Day in 1974. Um, it, it, like we said, it, it bombed spectacularly everywhere else in North America. The only city that really embraced it was Winnipeg, and it soon became almost like a badge of honor for people to say, "You know what? I've seen this thing ten times. I've seen it twenty times. I've seen it fifty times." And the audience who ended up going to see this was much, much younger than I think the studio expected. It was uh, primarily uh, an audience ranging from about eight years old to about 16 years old. And, uh, you know, the, the, the film had a mature rating that it, that it earned. It earned that mature rating. And it was kind of... Uh, Interesting because a lot of us thought, well, maybe we've kind of put one over on our parents by being allowed to go see this movie. Well, you know, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't know if you would know this off the top of your head or not, but I think it's possible that that movie was on television when it was still in the theater in Winnipeg. Um, I remember seeing it on TV. I remember it being a big deal. Um, uh, I don't know if it was on TV at the same time it played here. It did play in Winnipeg for a long time. It was here for almost five months in its first uh, theatrical release at the Garrick Theatre. Then it sort of bounced around a few drive-ins. Um, it came back to the Garrick for six weeks near the end of its run. So it was on screens here for almost a year in Winnipeg. And, Crazy. Uh, that's, that's about uh, 50 weeks longer than it played anywhere else in, in North America. <laughs> so have we figured out, did, did the documentary reach a conclusion as to why Winnipeg? Why did Winnipeggers have such a love of Phantom of the Paradise? Um, <clears throat> the, the question is asked. A lot of people try to answer it. I don't know if there is a real answer for it. I think it has to do with uh, the immaculate taste and the infinite wisdom of the good people of Winnipeg. I'll take that. <laughs> I think it's a great answer, Doug. Um, I th my own personal theory is um, back in the 70s, you know, Winnipeg was and still is a very uh, isolated city, and there were fewer choices for us entertainment-wise. I mean, we had three channels on TV, so if, if you saw something on TV, chances are everybody saw that. So if you saw the, the commercial for Phantom of the Paradise, I mean, it had everything in there. It had elements of uh, Hilarious House of Frightenstein. There was, it, some of it looked like AWA wrestling. Parts of it looked like chiller thriller. I mean, if you saw that, you, you sort of had to go see the movie, and I think that's a, that's, a, that's a huge part of it. Okay, so people want to see this documentary. You've won the award in Montreal. How can people in Winnipeg see it? All right, we're bringing it to the Park Theatre Saturday, August 17th. We have two double features. We're showing Phantom of Winnipeg, followed by Phantom of the Paradise at 7 o'clock. And then, again, at 10.30, we're showing Phantom of Winnipeg. We're going to show Phantom of the Paradise afterwards. Um, there's an there's a after party with a couple of members of a band called Swanage. Um, and uh, tickets are on sale now at the Park Theatre, or you can go to eventbrite.ca. Doug, this is fantastic stuff. I never tire of celebrating and remember the, the good times of opening the newspaper and, and calculating and you'd see Phantom of the Paradise in its 37th big week alongside Star Wars, which had been in the theater for close to a year itself. It was a, a really an amazing time in Winnipeg. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being a part of the project and we'll, we'll keep in touch. 
Thank you very much. All right, Doug Carlson, one of the co-producers. The project is called Phantom of Winnipeg. You can see the documentary, award-winning documentary, Saturday night, along with the Phantom of the Paradise, two opportunities at the Park Theatre coming up this Saturday. Uh, Greg Mackling along with Loren McNabb and uh, the founder, the inventor of Mathopoly, Willie Penner, joins us in the studio now. And Loren, when I asked you this question, I guess it was yesterday in the yep, newsroom? yesterday morning. Doing math at about 4.30 a.m., nice. which is not my strong point, but I would we say did you did very well, Well, I would say I'm right. Jeff Braun got an exactly different answer than you or I did. But this is genuinely dividing the internet to the point where the New York Times has written an article dissecting this equation, which has people talking, arguing. And you remember this phenomenon? I think it was from last year, Jeff Forche. Uh, yeah, was it last year? I think it was. It's been the last... Uh, A couple years, I think. Has yeah, it been Yanni, that long? Tanny, it's... Laurel. Some I people Laurel. were hearing Laurel. Yanni. Some people were hearing Yanni. Okay. Yanni. Okay. <laughs> Stop. Willie Penner. No, this is a 10-hour long one that I is grabbed, too. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Who just had the time the to make a 10-hour loop to Laurel or Yanni? I think it was just more of a Please digital stop. thing. stop. Willie, uh, is what we're dealing with here the equivalent of 1 plus 1 equals 3? Uh, uh, no. No? Uh, no, I don't think so. 1 plus 1 equals 3. You know, it's not that obvious to be wrong, depending on which answer no, you get. No, I, th- I think there are... There are two sides uh, of the question, and I think everybody has their opinion, and strong opinion, might I add. Um, as a math teacher, I see it one way, and, and I will defend that way. Uh, before you give the answer, can we give the question? Yeah. And, uh, just worried uh, yeah you no, no, I wasn't going to say anything. Nope. Okay. So here's the question, and if you're driving, you'll want to pull over, <laughs> break out a pen and a paper. If you're at your desk, you can do the same thing. Or if you've been on the internet, you've seen this already. And here's how it's expressed on the uh, digital chalkboard. Eight, and then that traditional division sign. Sometimes you use a slash, but it's that traditional sign with with the one horizontal line with two dots on top. And then a two next to a closed bracket with another two, the plus sign, another two, closed bracket, equals... Question mark. Now, you may proceed, Mr. Penner. How I would do it? How would you do this equation? If I was teaching this equation, I would obviously do the brackets first, right? So I would do the 2 plus 2 is 4. Um, now, if I chose to leave that in the brackets, that might change someone's opinion, but I would probably make a, an actual multiplication sign there. So it now it would read 8 divided by 2 times 4. And then I would follow my my bed mass rules, which would then say eight divided by two is four. Four times four is sixteen. Yeah, I've, I've so seen the this acronym. Sixteen. It's in not your mind. sixteen. <laughs> I've seen this acronym bed mass. What is that? Can you oh, break oh, sorry. That down? Yeah, bed mass is uh, order of operations. So, so it's brackets, brackets, exponents, division, multiplication, addition, subtraction. Now, if now it's the e in there that I think is the wild card. The E. Yes. The exponents. What if what if that instead of instead of the two being adjacent to the open bracket at the beginning of the equation, was an exponent two attached to the closed bracket at the end of the equation? Would we not conclude all the operations adjacent to and within those brackets before we went to the order of operations? Why are you doing this to me? Because you're the math expert. Mathopoly. Well, but that's not the the question. The question, there is no exponent there. I thought the rule was, I thought the rule was that you were to do all the calculations within and attached to the parentheses or the brackets before invoking the order of operations, which is why I get to one. And I think a hundred years ago, you might've been right. Well, I'm 50, so maybe I'm only (laughs) half right. (laughs) I think I think bed mass in itself is very confusing for a lot of people anyways because the DMAS doesn't really follow a rule because it, it then matters going left to right. Mm-hmm. So I think getting rid of bed mass would be great uh, because using order of operations, of course, but the, the bed mass acronym doesn't make sense to a lot of students because there is all of a sudden a rule to that. There's an exception to that rule. So I got the answer one because yeah. I had done what some other people do was take the brackets and the multiplication part 
first and then go from left right. to right. And, I, and you would also get one, technically, if you put the eight on top and did a division sign, like a, like a fraction sign, like yeah. a division sign, and put the two. Because it'd be eight divided by eight. That's right. So if you, if you rewrote the question that way, you would get one. So to me, my, my big question here is this t- to me is an example of um, how <laughs> this is going to come out wrong. Not just how hard math is, but the struggle we still have even as adults to do some, what would be considered a pretty basic, what grade would you be doing this equation in? I would be doing it, well, I think you'd start in grade six. Right. So a 12-year-old would be doing this math. I'm at 42 struggling (laughs) to do it. And so I wonder, as, as, you know, math evolves, are we getting better at teaching people how to do basic math? I think this, well, basic math is definitely a problem. It it definitely is. I think, I think, um, uh, students coming into if, if it's middle years or even high school and still not knowing their basic facts, I think that's a struggle. I think it's a struggle for students. I think it's a struggle for teachers because then we have to uh, work backwards and, and and try to get them caught up to a certain point. And at some point, we have to move on. And I think that's that is a huge struggle within. Uh, I wouldn't just say Winnipeg. I would say Canada. For sure. Uh, from the things that I've seen um, and where I've gone and, and talked to different teachers, and that still seems to be a struggle, is students knowing and memorizing their basic facts. Now, I'm not a big, um, you know, rah, rah, let's do worksheets. Like, I, I don't think that's the way to do it. But I think that struggle still continues in junior high, elementary school, and and there has to be something that, that we're doing to get us past that point. Because we're not understanding how we got to the answer. We're just memorizing the answer right. and I in think, part. Absolutely. No, I think you're, I think you're dead, dead on. I, I See, think, and I would argue it's the other way because I've got two 13-year-old kids. Right. One of them does pretty well in math. The other is struggling a tiny bit. And I think the reason he's struggling is because he hasn't memorized certain facts, certain uh, addition facts, multiplication facts based on visualization and recognizing it. It feels as though he's calculating it every single time, as opposed to when he sees five times five, he knows that it's 25. He's still every time thinking, okay, and he's got to think about it to get there as opposed to knowing some basics. Right. But but that's been the change in math, right? Is as Lorenz says, is to understand a little bit more about how you got there and maybe different ways in getting there. And that's been if there can be a controversy around how to calculate two plus two, Absolutely. there's been a controversy over the last several years and how to teach it and to make it work for kids. Right, exactly. I, I think you know, one of the things that a very simple thing would be if I, if I kept on asking a student, it doesn't matter which grade, what four times two is, four times two, and they would say eight, 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 and then I would just turn around and say, what's two times four? And if they're hesitating, then they haven't mem- – like they, they don't understand that those two the numbers – The principle of what Yeah, exactly. There. So, right. so that's, that's my issue with memorization is sometimes we see something a little bit different and then all of a sudden we don't understand how we got that answer or it takes us an extra second to get it. So doing worksheets and worksheets and worksheets, I, I get that. I get why, why people do that. But at the same time, we still have to understand why two numbers are, are, are getting us to a different answer or to a different number all the time. doesn't matter which way we're looking at it. I think he's I, – I mean, my kids are in grade going into grade two and four. And right. so I was helping my eight-year-old with math this year, and a lot of it was showing your work and how did you get to that answer. And I actually couldn't help him with some very simple <coughs> division because, you know, he had to explain it to the teacher in terms of how he, he divided um, 24 by 6, say, right. and in the groups of, that went into that and all the rest. And I was trying to explain to him, well, you got there by the answer is four. You know, <laughs> like I was just very frustrated myself. And so I feel for parents who are now – with yeah. these kids, but yeah. I feel for the kids who who have a whole generation trying to show them that we're kind of lost out and there. And I think I think you're bringing up a great point. And one of the things is that I have seen over the years of teaching is that, you know, when it comes to parent-teacher interview times, the parents are sitting there with their child and they say, I hated math growing up. Mm-hmm. I struggle with math. I can't stand math, you know. The, doesn't help. The, the student is listening. The, their child is listening to this and going, well, there's my excuse. Right. So sometimes we, we have to, uh, you know, yeah, we don't have to love math or science or social studies or whatever it is. But you, you have to try and try and figure out, and especially for the sake of your child, mm-hmm. try and figure out, OK, how are we going to get through this? Well, how many people put their kids in sports they never played 
but wouldn't sit there and say, I don't like swimming or I don't like it's soccer or I don't like right. hockey. But you're like, oh, let's get these kids in all these sports, but that you don't know how to do. Willie, can you stick around for a few more minutes? Sure, I can. We're going to bring Kathy Kennedy in. We're going to ask her the question, find out what she is, uh, what she's going to share with us from 10 till 1. Uh, overwhelmingly, the listeners are on my side <sighs> that it's 1. Is the answer, and in fact, a New York Times article suggests that, it, or maybe it was Huffington Post, said that if you're Canadian, you're you're more likely to come up with one than if you're American, where most people are coming up with sixteen on that. And the other age old question that does not need to be de- debated between you and I, Willie. What's better than Halen with David <laughs> I, I Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? <laughs> we no, know it's Sammy Hagar. That is not. <laughs> Willie Penner, mathopoly.ca. Real quick uh, before we uh, wrap this up, Willie, what is Mathopoly? Uh, Mathopoly is a uh, is a board game uh, based on grade five to eight curriculum. Um, also has a junior set available that's based on grade four to six curriculum. Um, you're learning math at every roll of the dice. A lot of questions, a lot of strategies involved. Um, great way for students of all ages to uh, solidify and master their math skills. Because math is a big deal. It translates into just about everything that you do. We joke around here, hey, I got into radio because I didn't want to do math. There's a ton of math in this job. Well, I'm sure there is. And there's a ton of math in things that we just don't think about it. And I think that's part of the problem is, is telling our kids, hey, this is why you need to learn this. Because kids... They ask why a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to do some of the puzzles right now. Sorry. I'm just like on page uh, eight here and uh, I'm not reaching the right answer. So we'll have to, I'll have to get this book for myself. <laughs> well, it's perfect. So we've been talking about this math problem that's dividing the internet. Uh, lots of people get, getting 16 is the answer. I get one is the answer. And, and really you hit on something I think, Willie, with regards to encouraging our kids to get better at math. And, Loren, I think you uh, tied something in nicely as well as it uh, pertains to sports. Well, I think you were saying that the idea should be, Matthew, that just because we're not good at something doesn't mean we don't right. do it or encourage our kids well, to do it. And what Same I was, way at sports or guitar lessons or piano. Right. What I was thinking about before was, um, I mean, theoretically we could learn anything by by worksheets and by reading about it. Um but could you imagine a student walking into a phys ed class and there never being any sports equipment around and learning how to play basketball just by reading about it, by doing a worksheet and then doing a test? Sure. Would we understand the rules of basketball? Sure, we would. Would we remember them, though? I doubt it. So make math right. a game? Well, make make math a more hands-on experience. Put real-life scenarios in there. Um, it's once you start playing basketball or volleyball or hockey and you see all the little things that are happening around you, that's when you really understand the sport. And it's no different with any subject, but especially in math. If you're giving students the opportunity to create projects or to do uh, use manipulatives or use games or things like that and putting real-life situations into their class, uh, they're going to understand it and they're also going to remember it. For a long time, not not just memorizing, although I'm not against certain things like that, but I think there has to be a real balance of the two. A combination. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it wasn't until I played uh, goal uh, for a long time in hockey and had somebody walk out on the ice and show me the relationship between the angle of where the goalposts sit and the blue line and the uh, corner of the crease so that you could understand with reference points about where you needed to be on the ice. It it went from being a guessing game to knowing where I was on the ice. Willie, let's do this again sometime. Awesome, let's do it, yeah. Mathopoly.ca Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.